Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, and welcome to Cop On Podcast, you zingy little chicken wing. My name's Owen, and today I'm delighted to bring you a lovely chinwag with reds from around the world. We've got Majd in New York, Shane in Los Angeles, and two newbies for you, Brian in Hong Kong, and our special guest from the excellent YouTube channel Anfield Agenda, Craig Holden. But before we do what a snake does to a stocking and slither right into it, let me just remind you, dear listener, that you are free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Fling us some insults via either coponpodcast at gmail.com or our Twitter handle at coponpodcast. Thank you. You're all lovely and enjoy. So I'm going to start with uh, Craig. Uh, Very excited to have a special guest with us uh, this time. It's uh, Craig Holden from Anfield Agenda. Um, Craig, um, welcome to Cop On Podcast and start by telling the listeners, uh, in case they didn't know, all about Anfield Agenda, your fantastic project that you've got going on. Firstly, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Always happy to chat football with fellow Reds. Um, Yeah, Anfield Agenda started out as a podcast. about three and a half years ago, it's had various different names. Probably it may even reincarnate itself with a different name going forward. I don't know. But as it is, we're a YouTube channel. Uh, we're going about 18 months on there now, and we've just passed 22,000 subscribers. And it's so much fun getting to chat with Reds around the world. And we try to make a community on there where people can come on and share their thoughts. It doesn't matter if you're following the club a month, a year, 20 years, all your thoughts are welcome. And it's just a safe place for Liverpool fans to come have a chat and meet other Reds. And it's it's been going really well. And um, I'm eternally humbled by the people that tune in. And it's uh, so much fun. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Do check it out, listeners, if you haven't already. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, similar to Cop on Podcast, that we, we try and be open to everybody. It doesn't matter how long you've been supporting the club. Because I want to talk about Burnley away, uh, which was yesterday, because we were recording this on Sunday. Um, it was absolutely joyous. And I just I was thinking this morning, I mean, I woke up with all kinds of happy thoughts about being top of the league, etc., etc. But... Um, Burnley away. If I know some people who listen to this won't have been supporting Liverpool for a very long time and they won't even remember the Hodgson years, which was actually only about nine months before he got the sack, but it felt like years. Um, and this was this was so positive. It was such a joyous result, Craig, wasn't it? I mean, you know, it's 13 wins in a row. There's so many positives from it. What's you know, what did you learn from this game? I mean, it's it, it was absolutely so happy making, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was an indication of quite how far we've come. We used to look at a trip to Burnley as something that we have a lot of trepidation about. And yesterday we just showed that we are a different level at the moment. Ourselves in Manchester City are really are playing on a completely different level to all the other teams in the Premier League. And I was happy to get out of the game with no injuries because we know what happened last season there with Joe Gomez. And I did think, and I've got to point this out because it's a bugbear one, I thought the referee was shambolic yesterday yet again. There were so many fouls that were given against us when we were leaning in for headers and their players were just ducking down. And that was the only part of yesterday's game that I thought was a negative. 
all in all, the performance was outstanding. It looked like we had another couple of gears to go through. Turf Moor is not an easy place to go. A lot of teams will come unstuck there. Sean Dyche, what, Sean Dyche, whatever we think about his team, whatever we think about the way they play the game, they're compact, they're hard to beat. They've got forward there with Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood, who are effective. And for us to get out of there, as you said, with 13 wins in a row, 100% in the league this season, our first clean sheet, I'm really happy. You can't both be happy about that. That's a wonderful answer. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so there's so much joy. Those 13 wins in a row, they started with Burnley on March the 10th of this year. Uh, and I'll read them as quickly as I can. Uh, so it started with Burnley, then Fulham, Tottenham, Southampton, Chelsea, Cardiff, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Wolves, Norwich, Southampton, Arsenal, and then Burnley yesterday. We've beaten them all and we've beat we've scored at least two goals in in all of those fixtures as well which was uh, the first time any team's done that since 1960 uh brian i'm going to go to you next welcome to cop on podcast as well um and uh, i just want to know what your thoughts are on this splendid victory and what did you learn from it well you know, uh, like Craig said, there's, there's days gone by when a, a trip to Burnley away would uh, would fill you distinctly with fear. But I was just thinking that, you know, we played Arsenal and now we've played Burnley, 180 minutes of teams that normally would strike fear in you. And I just totally trust this team. Uh, I just think we controlled both games majestically. And at no stage in the game watching Burnley yesterday, did I feel like we were in any kind of danger? You just you just trust every aspect of that team. The only kind of area or questions I had coming into the season was Trent was a little bit off form. Um, you know, Klopp mentioned this, but then today or yesterday, he's back to his best. I mean, their their left winger, I think his name was Dwight McNeil. Uh, I thought he was pretty handy looking, and uh, but. But Trent managed him really, really perfectly. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can't help but 3-0 away to Burnley. International break, perfect. It was indeed perfect. And you're right to bring up Trent. I thought he was fabulous, wasn't he, Majd? The way that he dominates his touchline is is just a joy to behold um and i'm just looking at his some of his stats i mean he had three key passes um of course he sort of got a technically an assist for the for the goal that was deflected um he had uh, three tackles one interception one clearance two fouls and i love the fouls i think that's good it shows heart and determination but maz trent was brilliant was he one of the positives the major positives of the many for you and what is it what's another one absolutely he's been a positive ever since the start of the season he's been on fire just creating goals he basically is our main creator right now we had some people had some concerns over his defensive uh side at the beginning of the season but he's he's been doing really well in the last two games another positive is how well the midfield played i thought genie and hendo and fabinho were amazing yesterday they didn't give burnley a sniff in midfield we were completely dominating genie did some amazing work at like completely stopping counters and not allowing anything to go through the midfield. Hendo was really good at pushing forward and supporting the attack. And Fabinho just did his thing every day. He's, he's becoming the best DM in the world, in my opinion. So, yeah, there's plenty of positives. And the, some of the attacking play was really fantastic to watch, honestly. So, plenty of positives from yesterday. 
Yeah, you're right to bring up the midfield. It was it was brilliant, wasn't it, Shale? I mean, our captain, Henderson. I mean, this is is he is he in the form of his life, Jordan Henderson? Would you say he's as good as thirteen, fourteen, Shane? I would have to say yes. I would say he's he's even better, but in a different way. He's taken on more responsibility in terms of a of a leadership role. Now, granted, in thirteen fourteen, he did score more goals, and that is taking on leadership in a way. But uh, he, I mean, he's now in a position where there are better people, better goal scorers going forward, and so he's able to realize his potential in a way. That uh, that I think a lot of people didn't even didn't even see. So I am absolutely, absolutely happy with Jordan Henderson. Um, I mean, th- I thought I was gonna wait to talk about this, but I mean, how about that that instep sublime first time flick arching over the two Burnley defenders between their shoulders just to put it right on a Mo's lap, quite literally on his thigh. And so, yeah, it's just, I, I just want to see more of that. And he's capable of that. And he seems to be pulling that out more and more often. So I'm excited for him. Yeah, that was gorgeous. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about that. But that pass, yeah, for Mo and Mo unfortunately miscontrolled it. But that was, that was, that was terrific. It was, it was, it was majestic. Um, yeah, so they, I mean, there's positives everywhere. After 60 minutes talking about our defence... Um, Chris Wood had 13 touches after 60 minutes, it said on Sky, and that's uh, that's unbelievable. Um, you know, there, there were several players between Chris Wood and um, Aaron Lennon who had 17 touches. They couldn't get the ball, and that domination did did sort of stem from the from the midfield as well as the defence, didn't it, Craig? I mean, what do you make of them? That's that's our best combination now, isn't it? Genie, Fabinho and Hendo. I think it's it's horses for courses. I mean, I was trying to pick a midfield for this game in our post our pre-match stream during the week and I went with James Milner because I wanted industry in midfield, but I could absolutely understand why anybody would have went with Genie Wijnaldum. And for me, yeah, at this moment in time it probably is the strongest midfield, but going forward, I think you're going to see either Naby Keita or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain take that third midfield berth alongside Fabinho and Jordan Henderson. What you've seen from Henderson, and one of the guys touched on it a few minutes ago this season, has been outstanding. We've seen the shackles taken off. He was never a six. He was never a central defensive midfielder. He was always a box-to-box midfielder. And you're starting to see the quality of his passing game, the quality of his vision. And and yesterday, the midfield was always going to be important. You touched on Chris Wood and you touched on, on our defence. Virgil van Dijk was imperious yesterday. It was like there was a magnet attached to his head. All the aerial duels that he had to do yesterday against Wood and against Ashley Barnes, himself and Joel Matip were outstanding. But going back around to your original question, yeah, the midfield, that probably at this moment in time, without having Naby Keita and a fully fit Oxlade-Chamberlain, is the strongest. But there's a wonderful headache there for Jurgen Klopp, having the, the uh, riches available to him in midfield. I mean, to have James Milner, Adam Lallana, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Naby Keita to come back... Grujic, who we can't forget about, who's on loan at Hertha. Um, our midfield is looking strong for the future. Yeah, it is indeed. Do you, do you keep an eye on the on Grujic, Craig? Do you, do you keep an eye on his progress? I do. I try to keep an eye on as many of our loan players as I can. Um, Grujic, I've always had belief in. The guy, for me, if he comes back after this season, plays alongside and competes with Fabinho in that defensive midfield role, I honestly think there's a real player in there. and I, I was worried that we were going to write this kid off and we were just going to send him out on loan and his career might pitter away. But I genuinely do think that Klopp has a lot of faith in this young man. It was his first signing at the club and 
I think we'll see him back next season. I really do. Well, I hope so, because I love it when they uh, come back having done well or even having done badly, but then do well for us, like like the Div. Um, wonderful stuff. Yeah, I mean, our midfield is looking great. Our defence is looking great. You mentioned Virgil van Dijk there. Um, just to put Big Virg into, into context about his performance yesterday, um, among our defence, just looking at the clearances, Trent had one, uh, Joel Matip had two, uh, Andrew Robertson had two, and Virgil van Dijk made 11 11 clearances yesterday and uh, he just you know it's, he was sort of like you know I mean no no disrespect to any Jehovah's Witnesses but if someone doesn't appreciate a Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness and they come to your house Virgil you know would answer the door and just push them away every time he was like 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 that wasn't he Brian I mean he was um he was uh no one was getting into Virgil's house um, yeah, no, I thought he was uh, totally on tip-top form again. He just exudes uh, confidence. You know, if there was a battle, you just imagine him on a horse, riding up and down and just getting the troops to run through brick walls. He must just put the fear of, of, of Jehovah <laughs> into the opposition teams. He was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I, I don't know, the, the defence in general, I mean, looking at the last time we lost at Turf Moor, that was, uh, that was uh, three years ago, 2016, August 2016. And our defence that day, I mean, we had, we had Mignolet in goal, Brian. We had Lovren and Clavan in central defence and we had Klein and Milner at fullback. I mean, you're talking about, talking before about trusting this team. This defence now, is there another defence as good as it? Because I, I can't think of one. I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't watch enough of other leagues. But where does this defence rank in in Liverpool history or around the world? Well, in Liverpool, Liverpool history, it by far my top, most favourite defence. I mean, I think back to the times of Stefan Honcho and Sammy Hypia. Uh, I, I love those two guys, and uh, in the centre they were awesome. But this defence, not only does it cut, you know, puts up a defensive wall, but it's just so dynamic going forward. You've got two Rolls Royce of defenders in, in the centre, and then the best, you know, uh, attacking fullbacks in 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 the world. Um, they just, I mean, I, I I like Matip in there. I I I think he's just he's. Uh, He's just as steady as uh, as Virgil. When once he gets up and running, he gets about three or four games under his his belt. You can just rely on him. And now, um, you know, even Adrian, who's had no no preseason, is probably playing still with with a small injury, um, and he's playing in one of the most dynamic uh, goalkeeping uh, roles in in world football at the moment, playing in the sticks for Liverpool. Um, he he looks, you know, pretty secure in this game particularly. Um, and we, you know, it's, it's only a matter of weeks now for the best goalkeeper in the world to 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 come back into the into the team. So yeah, I just I love this defense. It, there's not a single player uh, out there, even the backup players that I question. So my favorite my favorite defense going all the way back to the kind of mid nineties, uh, I would say. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think it's probably mine as well. Are we going to be unanimous on this, I wonder? What about you, Maz? Is this the best defence we've ever had? 
I think it has to be because I wasn't old enough to watch the a golden generation in the flesh, so I couldn't watch every single game they had. But as far as a Liverpool team that I'm watching every every week, yeah, it has to be the best. Look at the numbers they put up. They put up one of the best seasons in Premier League history last season. I don't care that we didn't win the league. It was a historic season. And they won the Champions League and they we were part of a historic comeback against Barcelona. This is a great, great team and definitely the best defense I've seen and probably the best attack I've seen as well. Other than the 2013-14 season, that was fun too. But yeah, overall the best team for sure. No doubt in my mind. Well, that's interesting here yeah, to bring up, bring up the attack as well. Because yeah, you're, you're probably right. We're seeing Mane, we're seeing Salah, we're seeing Bobby all in their prime as I mention every week, and I'm so happy about it, as I mention every week, because I just love talking about them. Craig, what about you? I mean, you know, maybe you're, you're a similar age to me. I'm, I'm, I'm about to be 40, and uh, I sp- sported Liverpool since the mid-80s, and I, I think this is up there. I mean, you know, with the attack, I think, I think of Barnes. I can't get beyond Barnes and Beardsley and Aldridge, but maybe this is up there. And as for the defence, for me, it's the best. Defence-wise, from my memory or my recollection, obviously I wasn't around for the Alan Hansen days, but for me, this, yes, this has to go up there. It's probably the greatest defence of my lifetime. I've seen it with Liverpool. Individually, yes, we've had players like Hippie, we've had players like Carragher, Honcho. Some, I'll throw Steve Finn into that mix as well. Some really good players, but what you touched on a second ago about seeing these players in their prime, I cannot reiterate how important that is. Years ago, we would see players get to 26, 27, and we would have brought them in at 23, 24. Their value would have increased, and we would have sold them on. We're now not what you would class as a stepping stone club. I would say with Jurgen Klopp here, with these owners, with the players that we have, we're a destination club. We're European champions. We've been back-to-back finalists. There hasn't been a season in Europe that Jurgen Klopp hasn't gotten us to a European final. This club, these players, they're a truly special bunch. It's a privilege to get to watch them week in and week out. And we can't underestimate, we can't take for granted what we get to see every week with these players. Um, you touched on the Roy Hodgson area earlier on. Somebody on Twitter, I think it was Steve Hoare, mentioned that he would call what's going on Manchester United now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, their Roy Hodgson era. Um, and that made me smile because seeing how far we've come right now and what we have to look forward to. And Mohamed Salah, Roberto Firmino, Sadio Mane, you could go on, the list is endless. It's great times to be a Liverpool fan. And like yourself, I can't stop smiling. I'm walking around on cloud nine. I'm looking at Jurgen Klopp every day, almost in a state of worship. I still pinch myself that that man is our manager. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, what a guy. Uh, Shane, this, this, is, this is the best. This is, these are glory days. And, and did, you, I, did you see Man United as well, Shane? Drawing with Southampton, a 10-man Southampton. For me, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer put on Twitter this year. For me, he's up there with Sports Personality of the Year because he's doing a fabulous job, isn't he, Shane? Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's just... It's just so interesting, you know. I heard recently that the uh, that the polarities uh, shifted, the magnetic poles shifted, and I think we that's evident even in football right now. I think it's quite clear that things are are topsy turvy in terms of the Manchester United uh, point of view through their eyes. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I would have to say that they're probably probably really upset that they don't have Pochettino right now. I think they're really upset that they don't have any other kind of top-tier manager in European football. I think they might even be upset that they don't have Jose Mourinho right now. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a really sticky situation, and I'm just so happy that we're in the situation that we're in now. Um, and I can't wait to add one of the Manchester clubs to this 13-win streak because I'm looking at it, and none of the Manchester clubs are in it, but, man, I just can't wait till we go up against United because I have no doubt uh, that our defense and the rest of our team is going to be able to handle them. Oh, yeah, I'd love to play them. I mean, I'd love to play them ASAP. Um, you know, quickly on our, on our rivals, I mean, I've, I feel very sorry for, for Laporte having uh, got himself a, possibly a serious injury. Uh, you know, but City they look they look short of numbers now at the back, um, and that's our only rival. Uh, I don't think it's, it's even a question of debate. But let's go back to us and let's talk about Liverpool. These mighty, mighty Reds. The goals, the first one, the Wood OG. I mean, a goal like that sort of happens once every twenty years um, or more. I remember Saint Etienne, uh, a similar sort of looping goal. Um, you know, Ronaldinho scored one um, famously against England in the World Cup from a free kick, just looped over David Seaman. Naeem against. Arsenal. There are several goals going back in the year that just there's just nothing the goalkeeper can do. Uh, so there's not much to say about that one. But the second one, Bobby Firmino picked it up, uh, Majd, and he ran with the ball. And the difference I learned when I was, you know, doing some work at a top club um, teaching English there. Uh, the difference between Champions League teams and just league teams and other teams is knowing when to release the ball when you're in that kind of situation. It's making the right pass at exactly the right time. And uh, Bobby Firmino yesterday was superb. And uh, what do you think about that You know, performance by Bobby, that goal by Mane, Sadio Mane himself? Take us, take us anywhere, wherever your, your mind roams. I thought it was amazing because I wasn't expecting Burley to give us a free goal, but they did. Like The biggest mistake you can do against us is give up possession in your own third because we have three super fast and marathon runners who just are so direct and are going to attack you. And you're in trouble, basically, if you're, if you're going to give us possession in the final third. And that's exactly what happened. Ben Me, thank you very much. You're a prick for doing what he did to Joe Gomez. So thank you very much. <laughs> and Bobby just picked it up, played a beautiful pass to Mane, and Mane doesn't miss those anymore. He ever since really since the turn of the year, he he's taken he's taken his game to another level and now nowadays I like he is completely hundred percent confident in front of goal. So it was great to see. I was it was a great goal. But it was just a little too easy. I wasn't expecting it. So that's great. It's marvellous to watch. It's marvellous to watch Sadio Mane. What did you make of the finish, Brian? Where would you... Because uh, I thought that finish was absolutely uh, brilliant, actually. Clinical from Sadio. And uh, what do you think of him these days, Sadio? And, you know, we can move on to the, the, you know, the fact that he lost his temper a little bit on the touchline. Not that I want to spend too long on that. But uh, what do you think about it, Brian? Oh, He's just playing out of his skin right now. 
uh, he is the he is the one player that I like to see on the team sheet uh, week in week out. He's so industrious. Uh, he's just got everything in his game. You, you feel like he's at his absolute peak. And um, yeah, you, he gets the ball. You think he's going to score, and he does. There's just no holes in his game right now. And uh, I mean, he he also hasn't had much of a preseason, uh, if, I, if memory serves me correct. He's just gone straight back into it. And uh, as far as him uh, looking, at, you know, a little bit ticked off when he was taken off, uh, I completely understand how he <laughs> how he must be feeling because it it was on a plate. I mean, it's kind of a double edged sword when you have a striker. You want them to be greedy. You want them to, uh, and I know that uh, Mo has definitely upped that part of his game a lot. But I mean, it's almost like he never uh, <laughs> passes the ball these days. And if he does, like his assist for uh, Bobby, the second one, was more of a kind of a, a little bit of a mistake rather than an assist. So for him to be taken off after he was, uh, you know, he, he could have just got a tap in there. Uh, it's kind of good to see because I think, you know, Klopp handled it just perfectly. You know, he played it right down, He said, you know, and, and it was uh, it didn't become a story. But yeah, getting back to Sadio, I just think he's just, he's absolutely at the peak of his game. And I think he's just, I, I couldn't separate all three. They're all, they're all slightly different players. But if I were to say who's most on form at the moment, he, he would get my vote marginally. Um, but I, I just love him. He just, he just gets on with it. And uh, he's a great player. Yeah, excellent answer. Excellent answer. Yeah, I mean, Sadio, yeah, I... Is there, but is is there a thing, Craig? Is there a thing with Salah that it seems to maybe get to about sixty minutes, and if he hasn't scored, then he will just take on all manner of shots? Or is or am I just imagining things? I mean, that's I watched the game yesterday with my brother, and that's what he said about it. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, maybe you're right. He has been a bit too selfish. I mean, but you know, the the stats. I mean. The brilliant crack stats, uh, Stephen Drennan, who was on Copon last week, uh, posted the chances created uh, percentage from all of last season. Mohamed Salah's at 11.85% and uh, Sadio Mane's at 7.84%. So Mohamed Salah does make more chances than anyone else, it appears. But is there a little element of him being a bit too selfish? Is that possible, Craig? Look, I think we need to caveat this by saying that forwards are inherently selfish and we want them to be inherently selfish. They want goals. We want them to score. That's their job, first and foremost. Um, I've been somebody who's defended Mohamed Salah and his the accusations of greed that surround him time to time. Yesterday, I have to say, there's no defence. There's no defence for at least two situations yesterday. He should have played Bobby Firmino in at one point. He should have played Sadio Mane in at another point. Um, we spoke earlier on about the brilliance of Bobby Firmino's pressing and his interception from Ben Mee and the timing of his pass to Sadio Mane, which gave him nothing to do but side foot the ball. That's what we need from our forwards. Now, the reason Mohamed Salah didn't score yesterday was down to himself and nobody else. So I absolutely understood why Sadio Mane was so explosive when he was going off the field and why he was so angry. Now, as Klopp said, that was a heat of the moment thing. That will be calmed down in the dressing room straight away afterwards. But 
I don't want the narrative from yesterday's game, which some people are trying to portray, to be about that, to be about our forwards falling out. I've seen United accounts, for instance, trying to say, oh, it's all falling apart now, posting up the video of Sadio going off. Look, these guys are competitive. You don't get to the level of football that they're at without being so competitive, without being so driven. And as I said, to, to circle back around, forwards are inherently selfish. Um, Bobby Firmino's a different breed. He just isn't selfish. He is the most selfless footballer I've seen in such a long time. He allows Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane to be the geniuses that they are. The, the cleverness of his pressing, his runs, he drives players out of position. He allows those two gentlemen to be the superstars that they are and presses from the front. I love Sadio. I really, really do. I love Mo. I love Bobby, but there's no defending Sally yesterday. I absolutely understand everybody who was annoyed at him for not passing the ball. Um, if he didn't score, so be it. It's about the team first and foremost. I don't buy into the defence that we were 3-0 up, so it doesn't matter. It always matters. It matters because it's a sense of self-importance and it's it's not for the team. And it should always be about the team, not about individual accolades. I don't care if Mo wins the Golden Boot, if Sadio wins it, if Bobby wins it. All I care about is the football club, the crest, where we finish at the top of the season or the end of the season. Individual accolades don't mean a dot and... I think it was just a blip because if there's one thing we can say about this group, it's that they are together. It's that they fight for each other. It's that they are a collective and they are greater than the sum of their individual parts. Seems very reasonable. What's your What's your take on it, Majd? Can I play the devil's advocate for a little bit? In my opinion, that's just my opinion. I really didn't care because we were three nil up, and at that point, if you've ever played sport, at that point, this is where you have fun. When you're 3-0 up, this is where you try new things. And I completely understand Mo trying to dribble past two or three defenders or take an extra uh, dribble or shot or whatever. I completely get it. I, I have no problem with it because, as I said, a 3-0 three, a up, that's when you try to have fun and when you try new things. And he was trying new things. He was cutting inside onto his right foot. That's he He doesn't do that too much, so... I personally don't have a problem with it. I thought, like, I get it if Mane was upset with it or Bobby was upset with it, but I thought maybe you should just talk to him in private about it or something. That's just my take, I guess. I, I have no problem with, with people being selfish because when he goes on a slalom and run like he did against Arsenal and scores, nobody complains. So we just have to take... There, the, therein lies the difference, though, mate. He scored. He didn't yesterday. Then you well, got to hold your hands up. Well then, then it's fine. He just didn't score. Then it's it's not fine. It's absolutely it's, not fine. I, I, that's just my take. I don't know what you what you guys think. That's just my my opinion. Well, no, it's interesting. What, what, why do you say it's absolutely not fine? I mean, Matt's just saying. I mean, the you scores know, are relevant. This, it doesn't matter if it's this, ten nil, twenty nil, fifty nil. If you're being selfish, you're being selfish. If your teammates are putting in the hard yards, making those runs to allow you the space, the least that you can okay. do is play the play the correct ball. Give it to them. Look, I don't want to be. I don't want to be on here giving out about Mohamed Salah. I love Mohamed Salah. Mohamed Salah has been a joy to behold and a joy to watch. But we've got to be correct about this. He made the wrong decisions. Um, he's yeah. got to own up to that, and it can't seep in. What? Because he did it when he was three 0 up, and he got away with it, and nobody calls him on it. Who's to say he won't do it? I mean, Sadio Mane did it a couple of times. I think I recall one against Everton at one point as well, and he was called out on it. And if Mo makes these things, it doesn't matter if it's 3-0 up. Games of football can change very, very quickly. 3-0 after an hour can easily become 3-3. I, I recall last week, 
Bobby flicking the ball over someone's head and trying to volley someone. And we all loved it because it was an outrageous skill, but it was absolutely unnecessary. And absolutely incomparable to what we were talking about. There was no way that there was somebody who was in a goal-scoring position there that was screaming for the ball with no defender near him. Bobby created that opportunity himself and took it on. I'm just saying, I like I like players trying to take people on and trying different things. I, I personally don't have a problem with it. That's it. Um, that's all I'm going to say on it. So if this happens against Everton in the derby when it's nil-nil, you're going to have no problem with it? No? No problem? When he does it at nil-nil, then we can... We can all hammer him and destroy him, but I don't have no problem with him trying to do different things at 3-0. That's it. You will when it comes back to haunt us and we draw 3-3. Then you'll have an issue. Then it's on the whole team not to concede three goals, not at just one moment. We no. never lose a game for one moment. Incorrect. Your mindset at 3-0, if you get one back, you're back in the game. If it goes to 4-0, you know you're not getting in. You give up. The mindset of the opposition. This is what the difference is, the small margins of football between winning and not winning. You touched earlier on about people who have played the game will know. Well, I played the game at a very high level. And I know if one of my teammates did what he did yesterday, regardless of the score, I'm pulling him up on it because that's a winning mentality. You don't get to the levels Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, Bobby Firmino has without wanting perfection. And perfection is a mindset that is in week after week. And it's muscle memory. And Mohamed Salah's muscle memory now will be, hey, let's take another shot. It can't go on. It just can't. Sorry. I, I don't mean to have a go at you. I know this is just about opinions, and I just have very strong opinions on this. Uh, well, what about Cristiano Ronaldo, Craig? Because, you know, that's a player that, I mean, to be fair, let's give him his dues. I mean, this, this guy, I believe he's the leading assist maker um, in total in Champions League history. So he doesn't make goals, but I've seen him, you know, with all of his amazing attributes, as much as I don't like to say it, because, um, I don't know, don't really like the guy personally. That's just my opinion. But, um, um, you know, we've seen over the years him uh, getting the ball and having a better option on and taking the shot, you know, even if it's outside the box when he's got a player play free in the box. And this is someone who's won, what, four Champions Leagues, five Champions League? I'm just saying that, again, I'm trying to play devil's advocate, thinking that maybe, you know, that this selfishness, you know, which, uh, you know, Bob Paisley, for example, tried to encourage in Ian Rush. Uh, you know, maybe there's a, there's a place for it among the forwards. The difference with Cristiano Ronaldo is Cristiano Ronaldo has everybody withholding to him at every club that he's played for. He is the man. They bow down to him. He is the person that makes the shots. He is the person that tells the owners who he wants to bring in. He has too much power. The beauty of what Jurgen Klopp is doing at our football club is that nobody has that power. Nobody is bigger than the club. Nobody is more important than anybody else. Um if we had a Cristiano Ronaldo type player, a Lionel Messi type player, players who, as you've said, have broken records, won Champions Leagues, doesn't mean that they're perfect. Doesn't mean that they don't make the wrong decisions. I, like you, I'm not a massive fan of Cristiano Ronaldo, but I have immense respect for the man. He's got every ounce out of his career. He's worked harder than probably any other footballer in the history of the game to get where he is. But there is differences in that Cristiano Ronaldo runs those clubs, basically. Yeah, OK. Well, that's very interesting. Subject for debate. Maybe, uh, you know, Shane, you can come in with your your opinion. What do you what what do you reckon about all this? Oh man, yeah, I think it's kind of a dichotomous situation. I think you're kind of stuck between two things. So Muhammad Salah in that moment. So let's just go to that moment in time. Three nil up. Muhammad Salah is supposed to do both things. He's absolutely expected to do both. 
he's expected to take everybody on, lift his head up, even though he's got people crowding around him, lift his head up, see Mane, predict Mane's movement, and get the pass into Mane so he can score an easy goal. And he's also expected to weave and cut and slash through and put it in the net for a fantastic individual effort. And so you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It's it's just like a single moment and Sadio, yeah, Sadio is such a competitive guy. He just wants to score a goal. He he sees the moment, he sees that it's clear through. And yeah, it can be frustrating when you're playing with a selfish player, but when the when the shoes on the other foot, when the ball's at your feet, you are still stuck in that same sort of situation to where if it doesn't turn up into a goal, no matter what route you took, you're going to be criticized. So all all in all, when it comes down to it, I do think that Sadio's upset because because of a lot of things. Sadio kind of gets the the short end. He really does get the short end in terms of appreciation and public acknowledgement of his, you know Mo is number one. I mean, not in a, like an Alvin in the Chipmunks way where you know Mo's Alvin or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, I don't know why I went that. Please direction. go there. Yeah, no but, worries. But but yeah. So. So yeah, Mo's Mo's the front man. He's the lead man of the three man piece, and he he's the face of the Arab world. And he's turned into this in this whirlwind in, uh, over the course of like twenty four months. And and Sadio is on the same continent, competing for the same trophies, competing for the same accolades. And then if you guys if you guys don't follow it, the Senegalese uh, culture around football, whenever they whenever their team is playing, if they're players put the ball over the post or like you know like over the crossbar which Sadio is as we know is definitely prone to do they boo their own players Sadio has been taken off the field sobbing after these games and like and then we see and then we see what happens to Mo when he goes away on his games and so Sadio is in this really really year-long competitive only two weeks off game in and game out not getting the same appreciation not having a song that's as well recognized as Sim Simior and uh Mo Salah Mo Salah running down the wing yeah we have the oh mana mana like yeah that one's great but we it doesn't ring out the same and and so I just feel like Mane gets the short end, and he was set up perfectly. And there's this precedent set at the club that like, hey, if you're playing well and you're passing the ball, then you're going to stay on the pitch and you're going to be effective. And if you're not doing those things, then we might take you off. And in that moment for Mo to be switched then to the center striker to have Divock on and Shaq on and then Mane to be taken off. I think, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let loose because like this is how I feel right now. But yeah, it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be okay. And in all honesty, yeah, I think Jurgen Klopp handled it. I think Jurgen Klopp handled it. And you know what? I think Mane is right for his reaction too in some respects. So yeah, that's my take. That's an excellent answer. It's a really, really good answer. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're right. I thought Klopp dealt with it absolutely beautifully. And I'm sure it's already finished. It's only us and, you know, the Twitterverse who are, you know, debating this uh, today. Because I'm sure that they've already made up and are back at, uh, you know. And I think it was just one of those things, to be honest. You know, sometimes it happens. It was a bad decision. It was a very bad decision. I watched them move back. It would have been one of the goals of the season. Um, because it was just such a lovely, lovely move. And a simple pass to Manny would have uh, put him in for his second goal. But, you know, the joy is is that they're both part of the same team. I'm sure um, any team in the world would love to have both of them. And it's interesting, yeah, Shane mentioned that, you know, Sadio doesn't have 
as recognisable a song and as much love as the other two. And uh, you he think he 100% does? has Sadio Mane here, yes, the cowboy yes, yes, You're yes. forgetting it, lads. Come on. No, no, no. We know that one. We know, yes, we know that that song. But it's not. It doesn't. You know, when when you're watching it on the TV, you you can hear Mo Salah and Bobby Firmino songs, probably. You know, you can't measure it, but it seems like almost double the volume of the Sadio one. I don't know if that's because not everybody knows the words. I never hear that one. I I hear the Oh Mane, Oh Mane one. But maybe the other one, I, I, just, the, I never pick it up on TV. It's weird. Yeah, well, it's, it is very interesting stuff. But uh, but anyway, let's let's move on. You know, let's do what the team did. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, Mo and Sadio have already made up. And let's move on like they should. Uh, and to the third goal, because, it's, again, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, Bobby... Bobby Firmino, 50 goals. The first Brazilian to get to 50 goals uh, in the Premier League, Brian. Um... Um, I mean, he's Bobby Dazzler. He's he's dancing. How did you celebrate that goal? Because I was up on my feet and I just started dancing like Bobby did. <laughs> uh, I celebrated in the best possible way beside a Man United fan. And I screamed at them, do you remember when you guys could do that? <laughs> <laughs> and it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's another player I, I love. Bobby Firmino, I, I, I never under appreciate anything that that man does. He, you know, he's just a footballer's footballer. He pulls all the strings. He, he does everything for his team. His positional sense uh, is just off the charts. And and now he's added that, well, not that he's ever lost it, but now he just seems to be razor sharp in front of goal as well. And, you know, he just gives you, he gives you and he gives the team, um, what they need. I mean, I can't remember what game it was, but he was on the bench recently, and uh, I was watching with one of my friends who was was who was on a bit of a downer. Uh, it was a tight game, and then Bobby came on, and he just changed everything. The team just transformed around him. He just made everybody better. All of the strategies seemed to work much better. The ball flowed, and when that ball came to him, I just knew it was going the back of the net. He's awesome. Yes, you're right. Bobby Firmino is just a joy, a joy. Um, and we get to watch uh, these these beautiful Rocket Reds in the Champions League. I want to move on to talking about that because, we, of course, we had the Champions League draw the other day. Drawn in Group E, uh, Liverpool, Napoli, Salzburg and Genk. Um, Craig, what do you make of our group? On paper, it looks like a fairly straightforward passageway through, but, you know, Napoli away for the first game is going to be immensely difficult. They're a very, very good side. Um, Salzburg, I don't want people to underestimate because, again, they are a very good side. We should beat them at home, probably beat them away. Genk, I've got to put my hands up and say I know very little about, um, don't watch much of the Belgian league. But all in all, I'm quite happy. I mean, I think all the English teams can be relatively happy with their draws. There's some very, very difficult groups there this season. and um, I'm, I'm happy enough. Um, it's weird. We're at this point, and I don't know how the guys feel, where you're almost getting selfish and greedy now. You're almost immediately looking past the group stages and just thinking to February to those beautiful knockout stages, those those nights like Barcelona at Anfield and I don't know, maybe we're getting a little bit spoiled, but it's not the worst. It's not the worst group. Um, I'm almost disappointed there isn't a couple more big games in it. I wouldn't have minded a group of death because I believe in our guys so much, but 
it's the Champions League. It's where we want to be. I mean, roll on Naples and the first game against Napoli and, and, you know, let's just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, it's a very nice answer, actually. I mean, interesting, you said you, you wouldn't have minded a group of death. I mean, I'm I'm very happy it's easy. I don't know how you feel about it, Mas, but I'm happy that not only is it easy, but we, ha- we have to uh, do a total of uh, 8,440 kilometres uh, in terms of round trips to Salzburg and Genk and possibly Bologna, by the way, because... We might not play Napoli in Naples. Uh, so anybody looking to book a flight, please, you know, check everything out before. Make sure it's confirmed because they've got problems with their stadium in terms of it doesn't quite... Um, there's, you know, health and safety concerns. That's usually the excuse. But uh, if we play in Bologna, that's 8,440 kilometres, Majd, which sounds like quite a lot, doesn't it? But if you compare to Man City, they've got uh, Shakhtar... Atalanta and and Zagreb, uh, Dinamo Zagreb, and that's thirteen thousand five hundred and fifty six kilometers in total in terms of their round trips. Do you think this travelling is going to make a difference, or a city just that good and those teams so bad that they can just play their B team or their C team or their under eighteens and still waltz into the next round? They can waltz into the next round. They got, they, unfortunately, it's not the group of death for them. It's, uh, I, I don't think the travel might affect them, but it's really hard to project that and to see. And I have no idea. I have no historical evidence to tell me that travel does affect players that much. I'm not really sure if it does. So it's best to, uh, to assume that they're going to waltz through it and they're going to get most of the points anyways. And... Yeah, I'm not really expecting any surprises there. As far as our group, I think it's a really good group. I'm happy it wasn't as hard as last week, last year's because I really don't want to go through that again. And um, I'm really confident. I think we'll we'll uh, make it to, to the knockouts by the fourth round or the fifth round, hopefully. So maybe we can rest and rotate for the last the last group stage game. So I'm I'm really confident. I think it's a great group, and hopefully we make it to another final. That'll be exciting. Oh, yeah. And why would you bet against us? I don't know. Um, You know, the only thing is my nephew, uh, who predicts everything correctly, because he's seven years old and he's got some kind of gift. And he reckons we're only going to get to the semi-final. But still, the semi-final is a very good performance anyway. But uh, yes, um, uh, Shane, what what do you make of it all? Well, I've put my life savings on your nephew's prediction, so we'll just get that out of the way firsthand. <laughs> uh, I think I think he's I think he's great. He's better than that octopus, from what I hear. So obviously, I like what our our pool. Um, it's interesting that we got Napoli again, and that Man City got Shakhtar again, like two years in a row. Like that's kind of that's a you know co- coincidence, but you know nothing more than that. I'm I'm interested because uh, I'm interested in Salzburg and Gink. I honestly do not know too much about them. I haven't been I haven't been watching uh, them too closely. Uh, been stuck in a Liverpool vacuum for some time. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's been a lot of great draws. I mean, Group A is is kind of outrageous, and then also on top of it, we have uh, a special interest with Simon Mignolet in goal at Club Bruges. So we'll see how he can handle PSG and Real Madrid, and you know maybe. Maybe they can sneak into uh, to a second place on one of them if uh, the either of those two have some 
bad matches. Group B, I mean, it seems like everyone else, in, except for Man City and Liverpool, have exciting matches. And honestly, I wouldn't want to be Chelsea in Group H. Um, with Ajax, Valencia, and uh, Leo, I would not want to be. I think they, uh, I think they probably have the toughest draw out of all English clubs. Um, our travel is uh, is definitely fantastic. Thank you for doing the math on all of this. I do appreciate that, Owen. This is this is really interesting because I do think it's took me ages. <laughs> I bet. I bet, and I really do think that this is, uh, I think this is going to play into our hands somewhat. I mean, we're already ahead on points a little bit. We've already started that sort of mentality, building it up, and I don't think we're slowing down at all, and I think it's just another another thing, you know, more, more miles on the legs, more miles on the body. I do think it can come into play. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see our form. And uh, honestly, I hope we don't play at uh, Napoli Stadium. I just, I just don't want to see any headlines of violence, you know, flares, riot gear, you know. Enough is enough with that. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we are 100% against violence at football matches here on Cop On Podcast. Like the majority of sane, rational people, it's just a game at the end of the day. As much as we're passionate about it and much as we love it, there's just no need. But I, I'm afraid, Shane, I mean, you know, I used to live in Italy and, I've, and I do worry about the, you know, the, the culture of hooliganism around football in Italy. I'm sorry if that's too much of a generalisation for some people, but, you know, from what I've seen and what I know, I mean, it's, it's uh, unfortunately still, there is still quite a, you know, large percentage who are, you know, up for a fight and it's utterly idiotic, isn't it? But uh, Brian, what do you make of the Champions League uh, draws? I mean, you know, there's some, uh, there's some intriguing games, but uh, our group, first of all, yeah, well, uh, apart from the Napoli away uh, game, which yeah, for the for the reasons you've just spoken about, uh, I, I wasn't too happy about that. But you know, uh, hoping that that's not a not an issue. I think on the footballing side of the things, which is what we should be you know concentrating on. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's good actually. I think uh, it's a, it's a it's a fun group. I I can't see those sort of two teams giving as much problems, although. Yeah, I mean, you can't take anybody for granted in the Champions League. We we should have too much uh, for those teams. And the travel, whilst it's not perfect, it's not like France and Germany, for example. Uh, it's still not it's still not City's itinerary, <laughs> which which <laughs> which made me smile. Do you think it could matter, Brian? Do you think you know that this travel could could play into our hands a little bit? Um, I, I mean, it's not ideal for them, right? I mean, that you know, they you know they lost their their central defender there. I don't know how long he's going to be out for, you know, and whatnot. And, uh, and just getting to those places, you know, the I think a lot of football fans don't realise the hassle that uh, this the whole team and all the staff and all the support staff had to go through to get to these obscure places, and then it, then you know they're not particularly friendly. Um, and yeah, they go, they turn up and they, and they get the result. but you know, it can't, it can't, it can't be nice. And then they have a, they have a game like, and if it's the premiership, they probably put them on the early kickoff on, on Friday night, you know, cause that's how, that's what the premiership does for those champion league teams. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you want to be, if you want to be champions, you have to take everything, every challenge as it comes. 
but it's it's not perfect. And, and, and you would expect City to get through the group stages anyway, uh, regardless of which group that they ended up in, unless it was absolutely a group of death. So the next best thing for us Liverpool fans is if they have to play all over the world in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, I think it is a thing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping it's a thing. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, yeah, we can we can just hope about it. But uh, I'm just looking at their fixtures, actually. The big trip to Shakhtar, that's the longest one. Um, uh, that's between Norwich away and Watford at home for City. So, I mean, that's not... Can't pin too much hope on that one. But uh, then their place uh, on the 2nd of November, City play Southampton at home. Midweek on Wednesday, apparently they're away to Atalanta before they play us at Anfield on the 9th of November. And then their last uh, trip away is on the 11th of December against Zagreb. Uh, and then on the Saturday after that, they're playing Arsenal. But just before Zagreb as well, they're playing Man United at home. Uh, so it could be a bit tricky uh, for them. Um, we can only hope, but I mean, you know, who cares about them ultimately? Because we've got not just Europe's best defender, sorry, but Europe's best player. Um, how joyful was that to see Big Verge, you know, standing up while Ronaldo and Messi stayed in their seats? It was wonderful to see. Um, I believe that was he was the first defender to win that award since its inception, I think, in, in 2010, 2011. And moving, I suppose, looking a little bit ahead towards the Ballon d'Or, I, I wondered, and I still wonder, if he doesn't win it, what does a defender have to do to win that award? I mean, I know Cannavaro won it back in the day, but he was the best player in Europe last season. And, and I'm a massive Lionel Messi fan, and I spoke about my admiration for Ronaldo earlier on as well. Nobody's trying to say that, that Messi or Ronaldo aren't, aren't outstanding footballers, but it is about what happened in that season. And Virgil van Dijk won the European Cup. He won the Premier League Player of the Season. He kept a ridiculous amount of clean sheets with that Liverpool defence. He had a great time away in internationals with his country. Um, he went and won the Super Cup. He did everything that he has to do to be in the argument to win that award. It was really good to see him win it. It was good to see how humble he was, as always. Um, I actually loved hearing him speak about his admiration for Ronaldinho during his speech because he was right. Ronaldinho always played the game with a smile on his face. And still to this day, I, I look back at his clips and just love the guy. And how can you not like Big Verge? He is humble. He is calm. He is he's everything that you want in a leader. Um, I know people want him to become the captain someday. I don't really mind either way. I think we should have a team of leaders, but... What a centre-back to have. And the fact that we've forgotten and the world forgotten very quickly about the price that we paid for him when they made such a big deal of it at the time speaks volumes. It speaks volumes for Jurgen Klopp's determination to hang off and get the players that he actually wants. Um, God, I love Big Verge. I can't say enough positive things. And I'm sure every single one of the guys, I know we've disagreed on certain points today, but I think this is one that we all agree on. Virgil van Dijk is just a colossus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, you can... You know, look back to, I mean, for him, for me, he, he's the catalyst, Shane. He was the biggest signing that Klopp's made, I think. And, you know, think about all the brilliant ones he's made. Salah, Mane, um, you know, Virgil was the one that flipped everything to our advantage. Would you, would you say that? And also, 
I mean, is he Europe's best player? Should Messi have got it for having scored 50 goals a season again, which is incredible. Yes, that is that is incredible. And actually, I didn't know it was 50 until you just said that just now. And now I'm thinking, wow, that is that is that is maybe he should have gotten something. But I mean, he got forward of the year, if I'm not mistaken. But um, but yeah, no, that's a uh, that's really incredible. But yeah, Virgil Van Dyke, he. I mean, I, I mean, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it this whole time. Everybody's talking about him. He's able to be a, somehow like a mark, like he's turned the position of the center back into like a marquee showpiece. Like it's something very exciting to watch as a piece of entertainment. And that is just, you know, a, I guess a basic way of putting it. But, you know, whenever you crunch the numbers, you see all of the statistical uh advantages he has you see his sprinting oh my goodness is he fast for his size not only is he fast for his size he's fast for humans like it's <laughs> it's absolutely incredible i i really love his attitude i really love so many things about him yeah he's definitely one of Klopp's best signings and i think i think unfortunately allison becker would have been hailed as the best signing of the uh, of like the year, but he happened to be signed in the same year as Virgil Van Dyke, so I think he edges him out there. I mean, I think at this point it's given that he's going to get the uh, the Balloon d'Or. I mean, right? I don't know if I. Uh... He should do, shouldn't he? I mean, but just look at it. Messi's season. I just found the stats. It's actually he played fifty games in eighteen nineteen. Uh, he in fifty games he got <laughs> uh, fifty one goals. And 22 assists. So, yeah, wow. I mean, you could you could make a very strong argument that Messi deserves to win. But Virgil had such an amazing season. And I don't know, do you put people into extraterrestrial versus terrestrial, in which case Messi's out on his own, uh, Brian? Or, or, I don't know, where do you stand on this? Virgil for the, for the, for the Ballon d'Or as well? You don't have to think so, right? I, I think uh, considering how the voting goes for the UEFA Players of the Year, I mean, I, I, I believe it's done by the managers and, and pretty much the same people who vote for the Ballon d'Or as well. And as, as Craig said, I mean, if there's ever a year that a defender is going to get it, then this has got to be it. I mean, he gets, I mean, he gets my vote. I mean, he's, what more can the guy do? I mean, he's, he, he can't score any more goals. He can't play any better. His stats are just off the charts. If you kind of, you look, you know, in football, we, we always focus on goals and assists and the attacking play. But when you start to break it down and you look at how important uh, that talisman defender is to the absolute top teams, all the great teams had that one guy you that final piece in the puzzle you put him into the team and suddenly the whole thing just pours and uh yeah he i, I think he's that guy so i mean i i would absolutely love to see him get that award uh to to do a complete uh clean sweep of the awards and uh, if he doesn't get it this year then i can't see uh, an, a defend again for a very long time uh but yeah like i think Considering the way these awards are, um, are uh, voted for, it would be a huge shock if he, if he didn't get it. Absolutely terrific stuff. Listen, we've been talking for over an hour, gentlemen. It's absolutely brilliant, but we have to sort of wind things down. Question for everybody. I'll start with you, Craig. Um, it's about 
how we are viewed from the outside. And I didn't write this on my agenda, but I've been thinking about it a lot. Now, let's take it back to the Champions League final. Okay, that was one game against Tottenham. We managed to win it. And now, as European champions, it's the same team that played all of last season and did so well to get 97 points. But the fact that we won it changes everything in the minds of our opposition. And it's fear now that is getting us through and giving us a big advantage. I mean, it's also our brilliant skill, etc. But I want to talk about the fear and how opposition defences. Tell me, is this in my mind? Because I saw Burnley, their players were had these sort of staccato twitches of mind and body. And it's almost like the microseconds that these top players playing you know and they're losing because they're not sure and I wonder if this is in our in their minds or in in my mind and I'm projecting that there's a real aura of fear if you're an opposition fan and you're facing Liverpool is that fair or am I just you know wishing this I'm in a fortunate position where I've I've been able to chat with lots of opposition fans on various videos and bits and pieces that I've done. And, and what I've noticed over the past year, maybe 18 months, is the tone of the questions on these videos are changing. Just as an example, I did a piece with a betting company a while back, and it was myself, and I was surrounded by opposition fans. And a lot of the questions were aimed at, why are Liverpool so disliked, yada, yada, yada. People are trying to say that our football, our club, our fans are unbearable at times and that we're self-righteous and that we believe we have uh, a right to win things, yada, yada, yada. I think there is a huge element of fear in this. And you've seen these little groups, these little um, dynamics of fans coming together to, to hate Liverpool. And that only happens when you're relevant and when, as you've correctly pointed out, people fear you. And... It's it's a beautiful thing, and I want more of it. But I want to circle back around really quickly, and I'm sorry to go back on this, to something you guys spoke about earlier on with regards to individual accolades and stuff like that. What I've noticed, and Good I wonder thing. if it's something you gentlemen have noticed over the course of your time watching football, is that the way football is being supported is changing. We're seeing, and I'm seeing, a lot more people who support players, a lot more fans of Lionel Messi, a lot more fans of Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, Cristiano Ronaldo, and they're going above and beyond and, and they're they caring more about these individuals than they are about the football club and for me this is really really dangerous because it's starting to to overlap and we're starting to see people who may well support liverpool because of mohammed salah going and going all in on on sadio Mane or bobby firmino for for little bits and pieces and it's causing arguments amongst fan bases and the final point i'd like to make and i'm, I'm sorry for rambling on about this but this is something i'm very passionate about there's nothing wrong with hating other football clubs. There's nothing wrong with wanting other teams to lose. There's nothing wrong with opposition fans saying that they want Liverpool to, to crumble and fall apart and that we're unbearable, yada, yada, yada. I think it's the way that these things are portrayed. And again, it kind of links into Bobby Duncan's agent. There's too much homophobia. There's too much racism. There's too much bigotry. There's too much sexism. There's just too much hate on social media between football fans these days. And there are certain times where we need to push aside 
our club rivalries, our tribalism. And we need to stand together, whether that be around the way football fans are treated when they go abroad, whether they're treated heavy-handedly by stewards or match officials, whether it's when we we disagree on, like, for instance, how many instances of racism have we seen over the past few weeks? We need to stand together in these times. So, yes, I, I know I've gone off point here, but... There is massive fear of opposition clubs and opposition fans about the way we play and the way we're set up, and that's rightly so. But I just want to really drive home the point that we cannot allow this this nonsense to seep into our sport. We cannot allow homophobia, racism, bigotry to become every day. Uh, we need to stand up. We need to call it out, whether it's within our own fan base. We need to call it out on social media if you're at games. And we need to stand together as a community of football fans and let these people know that it won't be accepted, that we're not going to accept it in our sport, that this sport is a beautiful game. It's called a beautiful game. It's there to bring people together, not create divisions. And I think we've just got to be very careful when we're talking about fear and hatred and draw a line between the two because I hate Manchester United but I have a begrudging respect for that football club as well and I always make sure that I say that when I'm driving these points home but yes man they're definitely afraid of us and they've every right to be afraid of us and they should continue to be afraid of us because we ain't going anywhere anytime soon my friend well that's a marvellous answer Um, Brian what do you make of it? well I have to agree with Craig the answer is love all you need is love (laughs) <laughs> love everybody including Manchester no no no, no maybe not that far um <laughs> yeah to answer your original question I, I look uh I I think you know the opposition fans have been on tender hooks for ever since uh, Jurgen Klopp came to this club they're all jealous they all want him as their manager but they can't have him because he's ours and every single one of them was just dreading the day that we won something. They were like, please don't let them win anything. Please don't let them win the FA Cup. Please don't let them. And we went and won the most important cup of them all. Like we all want the the league title because that's what we want. But in world football, it just does not get any sexier than the Champions League. And we won it. And we were there in the final two years running. And now that we have it, yes, they fear us because they know, we know, Everybody knows it's on. It's on every single game. And and we are back angry that we didn't take the league last year. And every time we rock up anywhere, it doesn't matter who we're playing, we're there for three points. So, yeah, I think they all fear us now a lot more. Absolutely brilliant answer. Uh, Majd, take it. Take it. What do, what, do, what do you make of it all? I think they absolutely fear us. And it, it, it wasn't just from... It's not just because we won the European Cup. It's from the moment we got to the first final. It's from the moment that we signed Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino and Mohamed Salah and we formed that trio, that attacking trio, and then we added Virgil van Dijk to that. That's when they feared us, when they, when we formed a, a complete team, a complete unit, and we went to the first European final and we lost. And ever since then... Just watch how the big teams have been setting setting up to play against us. Look at it, how, how we bossed Barcelona at the Camp Nou. Look at how we absolutely dominated Bayern at the Allianz Arena. Look at what we... We wiped the floor with Man City in the Community Shield and in other games before in the Champions League, uh, 5-1. We all remember that. So we bossed and we destroyed the best teams in the world. We've already proven ourselves. The, the natural consequences of that is that the smaller teams are... Of course, they're gonna fear us. They, they, 
that's just a natural consequence. I'm not sure that winning European the European Cup added an extra level of fear. It might have. I I I think it did though, Mash. I, I that's that's really the thing is that it's weird because it was just basically one game. Um, but had 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 we lost, you know, against Spurs in 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 the European Cup final, you know, we'd be down as perennial losers despite the amazing season we had. And uh, people would still think, oh, they've, you know, they're, they're beatable. They're going to be second. Someone's going to beat them. But now that we're European champions, I just see there's an extra level of fear in the opposition. But you don't see that this year, Mast. I feel like it's always been there, but maybe, maybe I'll, I'll try to notice it more. But I feel like it's always been there ever since we formed that attacking trio and we kept improving. But I think what it, what winning the European Cup does is gives us that extra 10%, gives the players that extra belief that we are champions, we are worthy winners, we are not just here one time, we are one, the best team in the world. So that's what winning the, the trophy does, in my opinion. It's kind of like the Anfield crowd. Like on a European night, it's not really about what it does to the opponent, it's what it does to our players and how much more confidence it gives them. And I think that's what winning the European Cup does. That's just how I feel. I'm not sure, but if they fear us more, that's good for us. It's a marvellous answer. Thank you very much, Maz. And thank you to all of you gentlemen. I'll just leave you with some absolute gibberish from uh, Eric Cantona, speaking of, of uh, you know, um, tribal rivalries. Um, I, I, I have a. You said you have a begrudging respect, uh, Craig, for Manchester United. Uh, not only is this complete gibberish, I think this is also genius. He said, "Soon the science will not only be able to slow down the aging of the cells. Soon the science will fix the cells to the state." And so we will become eternal. Only accidents, crimes, wars will still kill us. But unfortunately, crimes, wars will multiply. I love football. Thank you. Now, that is absolute twaddle from Eric Cantona. But I, 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 I love it at the same time. So well done, uh, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, we all love football. And, uh, and thank you all. <laughs> what a great what a great quote <laughs> and thus as the pesky international brig sits on us and pins us to the floor with its flabby buttocks we have two whole weeks to look at the league table but it's quite nice viewing isn't it Liverpool Football Club once again on the top ahead of a Manchester City team that many still think will ultimately be impossible to beat. However, let me leave you with this from one of my heroes, Muhammad Ali. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration. It's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing.